Hello and welcome to the Trial Toll Podcast. I am your host, Berta Tarre-Torres, a former researcher and a science communications officer at the Emerson Clinical Trials Unit at UCL. In this show, we explore the clinical trial landscape by talking to the clinicians and researchers that are behind the work we do. If you are interested in learning how our research can help improve healthcare in the UK and around the world, this is the podcast for you. This is the first episode in our series on Octopus, a new clinical trial for people living with progressive multiple sclerosis or MS that has recently opened in the UK. We are going to cover it over four parts. In part one, we are introducing the multiple sclerosis landscape and why is it so difficult to find treatments for progressive MS. I'm speaking to Professor Jeremy Chataway, who is leading the Octopus trial. So I'm Jeremy Chataway. I'm a professor of neurology and a consultant neurologist at UCL and at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery at Queen Square. I'm also talking to Don Lyle and Matthew Justin from the MS team at the Unrolling Regenerative Neurologic Clinic in Edinburgh. So my name's Dawn Lyle. I am a lead research nurse at the Anne Rowling Clinic in Edinburgh. Okay, well, hi, I'm Matthew Justin. I'm one of the MS nurses in, in Edinburgh. More than 130,000 people live with MS in the UK, and almost 7,000 people are diagnosed with MS each year. But what is exactly multiple sclerosis? Multiple sclerosis um, is a disease that affects generally people in their 20s and 30s, although it can occur at um, any stage of life. Uh, there are paediatric cases or people who can get it late in life. So in multiple sclerosis, your immune system attacks the covering around your nerves um, in your brain and your spinal cord. And this cover around your nerves is what we call the myelin. Um, and in MS, um, this protective covering is attacked and damaged, and that causes inflammation um, as part of that attack process. And the, the damage in these nerves then um, means that the messages that are sent along those nerves to your muscles, etc., really just struggle to get through. And what are the most common types of MS? Classically, um, people have attacks where the nervous system, the central nervous system, that's the brain and the spinal cord, um, doesn't work, and flare-ups, if you like, uh, relapses, and then they, they come, then they go, and they last for a few weeks or a few months, and a person goes into remission. So that's the relapsing, remitting part of multiple sclerosis, which is the beginning of MS in most people. And then at about 15 or 20 years later, it's variable. Then people can enter what's called the secondary progressive multiple sclerosis stage where they accumulate disability. So, for example, it might be noticeable that they're walking uh, with more difficulty or requiring an aid to walk or a couple of aids. But other parts of the nervous system, central nervous system, can be affected. For example, their thinking or their bladder function or their vision. So that's the most common part of what we call, that's the most common form of progressive multiple sclerosis called secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. There's a rarer th sort, if you like, that affects about 10 or 15% of people where people just slowly get worse. 
classically from the mid-40s, and that's called primary progressive multiple sclerosis. So we put those together as progressive multiple sclerosis. MS affects each person differently. We know that everyone has their own experience of MS, which can change over time as the disease progresses. But what are some of the most common MS symptoms? Matthew Justin tells us more about them. Because it affects your central nervous system, it controls almost everything that we, we do. They, they can be variable, and, and they're variable from person to person. You're, you're correct. You know, and it's one of the things that it's really hard. You know, at any time, I think, probably through someone's journey with MS, of, oh, is that unpredictable nature that we can't say with any certainty, you know, what's going to happen next or, or, or where you're going to be. But the actual symptoms, you know, often the, the, the most common ones are the ones that are either sort of motor symptoms that can affect, you know, power power and, and, and movement in legs or arms or, you know, some, something strunk. You know, there's also sort of sensory symptoms that can affect the way you feel or, or, the, or affect your, your, your vision, you know, so you know, the other sensory symptoms can be sort of into needles or, or sort of thing, things along that line, but, you know, and across the other things like bladder and bowel, and again, it's one of those things that if you look at a list of symptoms with MS, of MS if you Google it, you'll, you'll, you'll get a list of 100, but each person won't have each of those. It's not a tick list, okay, well, I've, I've got some increased stiffness in my legs, so, so what's next? You know, it's, it's an, unfortunately, one of the hardest parts, I think, is that it's the unpredictable nature. Because symptoms are not very specific, it can take some time to diagnose someone with MS. One of the tests that neurologists use to diagnose MS is an MRI, or Magnetic Resonance Imaging Scan. Jeremy explains what they are and what information they give us about the disease. So MRI, uh, magnetic resonance imaging, really is a kind of sort of microscope on the on the brain, and allows us to see the structures of the brain at least at, you know, at um, a, a sort of macro level. And we know that in multiple sclerosis, the brain, all of our brains, unfortunately, shrink. Um, in MS, it, they shrink a little bit more, and that's called atrophy. And we can measure that, and then what? It's, it is well known that there's an association between the atrophy and the disability. Although there is no cure for MS yet, there are some drug treatments available for people living with relapsing remitting MS. Some of these are so-called disease-modifying therapies, which delay or slow the progression of the disease. Over the last 25-30 years there's been a sea change I'm in the treatment of multiple sclerosis. When I was a junior doctor, there were no treatments for multiple sclerosis. There was steroid treatment to try and damp down the acute attacks, but there was no fundamental treatment. And so relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis treatment has been a huge success story um, over these last quarter of a century, with, depending how you look at it, up to about 20 different treatments. Um, focused on the immune system, focused on... Uh, regulating and putting into equilibrium the immune system. So the early treatments were the beta interferons, then came tablet treatments, and now we have powerful monoclonal antibody treatments, particularly looking at the B-cell part of the immune system, 
so reducing the number of B cells, with, with more to come. Disease-modifying therapies can reduce the number of relapses that someone has, and they can slow down the damage in the nerves caused by MS. But are there any disease-modifying therapies available for progressive MS? Very few. Uh, there, there are. There, there's, there's one medication called saponamod, which is uh, licensed for secondary progressive MS. Um, there's a medication called um, oculizumab, which is licensed for primary progressive MS. Um, but certainly with the just with the secondary progressive, thinking of octopus, the saponamod is quite specific in as much that there still has to be a combination of that relapsing element as well as progression for you to get benefit from it. And that's what the study showed, that people only got benefit if there was still an activity of relapses shown on an MRI scan as well as progression. You know, so, so, so there is one medication, but it's quite limited and not, not everyone is going to get benefit from it, unfortunately. So there has been a tremendous advance in emerging treatments for relapsing remitting MS. But these disease-modifying therapies don't seem to help people with primary or secondary progressive MS that have no relapses or inflammation, which is what most people with progressive MS have. So why is it so challenging to treat progressive MS that isn't active? So I think about multiple sclerosis, I sort of triangulate it in terms of what has to be done. We have the immune system, then can we protect the nervous system, and then ultimately could re remyelinate or repair and re repair the nervous system. Because in multiple sclerosis, it's kind of cardinal feature is this sort of rubber sheath that's around the electrical wiring. The myelin is degraded. And to start with, it can repair, and then that repair, that remyelination gets less efficient as the years goes on, leading to the sort of problems that we see. So, as I said, we're quite good now, not perfect, but quite good at controlling the immune system. But we need to get to neuroprotection and then remyelination and repair. And you might say, well, why, why are we not so good at those other two? And I think there are a few, a few reasons. I think fundamentally they're very difficult to study and difficult to study in human beings. We do have some animal models of multiple sclerosis and I think they've been useful particularly in the immune system um, study but it's quite difficult to recapitulate if you like the neuro almost neurodegenerative part of multiple sclerosis and so to kind of sort of see that pathology see that biochemistry it's much harder not, not impossible, there are models, but they are imperfect. And then you consider human beings with multiple sclerosis. We can't take tissue from them. We can't, it's very, very rare to take a, a biopsy of the brain or biopsy of the spinal cord. There are, there are very rare instances, but generally, you know, 99.9%, we can't take a sample of the tissue that's affected in vivo in life. So, you, so therefore, one is trying to study this neurodegenerative and then this repair process by proxy, for example, using MRI, advanced MRI scanning. And a lot of work is being done on that and we're making progress. But it's, it's fundamentally very difficult. And it's also it's a dynamic situation. So what's occurring, as it were, 
a few years ago may not be what's occurring right now in that particular patient. So these are some, some of the elements that make it hard to kind of get to grips with what's happening to a person with multiple sclerosis in front of you. Because all of these challenges, understanding how MS happens in humans is not easy. To this date, there are tens of thousands of people with progressive MS who have no treatment options. This can be quite upsetting and frustrating. As someone who interacts with a lot of people living with MS, Don tell us what it means for patients to be diagnosed with progressive MS. I think it's it's really difficult for patients, um, especially now when they're diagnosed with progressive MS, because there are so many treatments out there for people that have relapsing remitting, so many licensed treatments, um, which are not licensed in, in progressive MS. And to get to the point where actually, okay, now we think you've got progressive MS, then, you know, you're stopping their disease modifying therapy, which they've maybe been on for a long time, which, you know, has been a, a, maybe a, a benefit to them. Um, so they get to the point where, okay, you know, you, you now have the, the, you know, secondary progressive MS, for instance, um, and there's there's very little treatment options for that, which must be quite difficult for people to, you know, to, to come to terms with. Um, and that's why this is so, so important to do, to do trials and do research, because we really want to find a treatment for these people with progressive MS, whether it be secondary progressive or primary progressive MS. Most of the medications that are out there are for control of their symptoms, that you can have a, a tablet to control um, your nerve pain, you can have pain killer to control your you know your pain you can have tablets to control the bladder issues that you have but there's not actually a treatment to hone in on the ms itself it's more treating the symptoms of it so it's so important for there to be you know trials into medications to help people with progressive ms because it's such an unmet need for these patients and i've been doing ms research for many many years now and mainly with patients with progressive MS. Um, and you, you get to see, you know, what these patients experience on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of symptoms. And you just want to be able to, you know, to help and be able to offer some hope for the future. We've done previous trials and unfortunately there hasn't been a treatment come forward from those. So it'd be really nice to find a treatment to help these people. So what previous clinical trials in progressive MS have been carried out in the UK? Well, we did a, a very large um, clinical trial, drug trial, um, several years ago now called MS Smart, um, which looked at a couple of different um, treatments um, to help, you know, slow down the progression of MS. And, and that was um, a long study. Um, and unfortunately, end of that, the treatments weren't, weren't shown to be effective. And that was our first real big, you know, UK wide study looking at finding a treatment to slow down this progression. That was really the first big one that, that you know, we were involved with. Um, and then MS STAT, uh, MS um, Simvastatin, um, study has come along, MS-STAT2 it's called, um, and that's looking at a drug called simvastatin. And again, with the same aim to see whether that slows down progression. Um, this study is still ongoing, um, but that again is a UK-wide 
large study. There's 964 patients in that study, which is quite a large um, study for patients with um, secondary progressive MS. Um, and that's been running now for nearly four years. Um, but we're, we're hoping you know that one of these studies is going to come up with a positive finding to help so there are there have been previous studies you know we're doing this current study ms stat 2 and then obviously we've got octopus coming along which is the next one so you know we're, we're continuing to to research this and continuing to push forward to try and find you know a treatment that's going to work so we're ever optimistic that we're going to find something Thanks for listening to part one of our series on the Octopus Clinical Trial. In part two, we will have an in-depth look at the Octopus Trial, which is already open and currently recruiting in different areas in the UK. We will speak to Jeremy about its design, the treatments it will test, and the criteria for people to take part. If you would like to learn more about Octopus, there's lots of information on our MRCCTU website, the Octopus website, ms-octopus.mrcctu.ucl.ac.uk and the UK MS Society website.